Welcome to today's A Legacy of Generosity podcast show. Your co-hosts today are Christy Ackley, that's me, and Carl Newbanks. Since this is a new podcast, we'd also like to introduce our sponsor, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations. We are very grateful for their support and the work they do in Greater Minnesota. Learn more about all six organizations at greaterminnesota.net. That's greater Minnesota spelt out, dot net. Now, Carl, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name's Carl Newbanks. I'm the Grants and Development Manager at the Initiative Foundation in Central Minnesota. I've been working in nonprofit fundraising uh, for uh, over 20 years now. Thanks. And I'm Christy Ackley with Fairwinds Consulting. We support our nonprofit and business clients with people strategy, organizational culture, executive and staff development, and a wide variety of nonprofit consulting services. Before we get started today, let's meet our guests. Our first guest today is Jim Dwyer, recently retired from an amazing career at St. John's University. Jim, will you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Thank you, Chrissy and Carol. I'll be happy to. I'm Jim Dwyer. I have been doing plan giving for St. John's University and other fundraising, but mainly uh, plan giving for just retired after 17 and a half years. Um, I have very much enjoyed the career. I've met wonderful guys around the country, wonderful Johnnies and spouses and other donors. It's been an excellent career. And uh, before that, I raised money for a medical foundation. And before that, worked with the very poor, feeding and clothing, food shelves and uh, soup kitchens, things like that. And uh, it's been a great career. It's been it's been great fun. I just recently retired and look back happily. So, Jim, what are you enjoying the most about retirement? The thing I enjoy most is actually the uh, freedom to do things when you want to, rather than trying to get them in when you have to. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Uh, the one thing I miss most, actually, um, are the donors with whom I have long-term relationships over the years. Um, I've received many hundreds of uh, comments, emails, and cards from people wishing me well. And it was just very, very nice to see that relationships really do work. That's amazing. That's got to feel really good. Our next guest this morning is Nancy Brown. She is the president and CEO of the Winona Community Foundation. We're so glad to have her here with us today. Nancy, would you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I have been at the Winona Community Foundation for a little over a year and am doing a lot of learning in this capacity but have been in the fundraising profession for over 25 years, uh, predominantly in higher ed and healthcare and predominantly in small shops. So I've always been a jack of all trades kind of person, but there was a period where I did direct charitable estate planning for uh, the nonprofit community, working with their donors and uh, had an opportunity to really experience firsthand how people go through the thought process of plan giving. All right, Jim, Nancy, again, thanks for joining us. We're so happy to have you. Um, yeah. You know, we all know when we're working in development and we're working with a lot of different people and let's just say a lot of, uh, you know, fun and interesting folks. Uh, and specifically when we're talking about legacy gifts, it's such great work, but sometimes the occasional situation or gift comes along and it just becomes a real nightmare. Uh, so we are happy to invite you guys on today and ask you to talk about a couple of those nightmare stories that you've had. Jim, I wanted to go to you first and talk about this uh, really fascinating experience you had. And it's one that I have titled, The Scribbling is on the Page, 
I wonder if you could just start by giving us a quick uh, description of how this particular uh, planned gift went down. Certainly. The uh, gift was a nice gift. The total value was 600000 plus, And it was divided up between 18 nieces and nephews. The woman who created the trust did not have any immediate family of her own. It also helped um, eight charities, including some national ones that most people would know. And the children, or the children, the nieces and nephews upon her death went through her paperwork, of course, and found a single page of yellow legal pad paper that had some of their names and then nearby an, an amount was listed that was double what was in the actual trust. It did not list all of them, it only list some. And they looked at the bottom of the page and there was some ink at the bottom. She was being the donor, she was being trustee to herself. So if this was her signature, this would make this a, an acceptable change to the trust. They looked at it and decided it was and sued to get more money for everyone of the every one of the family members. The end result was, we'll get down to it in a minute, but the end result was a court case in which I was in the courtroom with our attorney and nine other attorneys representing all the various charities and factions and the attorney general's attorney on the telephone and the judge. The question came down to, and you can all do this yourself if you want, take a pen, go to the bottom of the page and make a couple little circly things. The question came down to, is that her signature of her initials, which would make it valid, or was she trying to make the pen work, which would make it not valid? It's such a fascinating story, Jim, and I know a lot of us, uh, may not ever experience, you know, something like that, have these sorts of complicated gifts that come down. But so you had nine attorneys, people representing 18 nieces and nephews. And if I'm, am I getting it right in saying that the argument was they were saying there should be an amendment, maybe less to the charities, more to the family was kind of the, the argument that was being raised. That was their case. And as the one, uh, one nephew put it, it's not the principle, it's not the money, it's the principle. But I'm of the opinion if there's no principle, there's no argument. Right. But we spelled principle differently. Right. And these these are tough situations to navigate because it's not like you want to just make the family feel like you don't care about them. But at the same time, we're trying to honor the donor's intent, right? She wanted to make these contributions to St. John's and other charities. And, and so you want to make sure we're honoring her intent as well. And there was the concern of bad publicity for the various groups, the national ones especially, because the amount of money, while significant, was not not terribly significant for the size of their operations. Well, go ahead and tell us, how did this play out in the end then? The judge looked at the page, turned it around, looked at it, turned it around, looked at it and said, this person was trying to make the pen work. This is not a valid addition to change to the trust. Oh, fascinating. And you had to go to court, spend time in court, testify, everything just to get to that decision. Yep. It was a few hours in court with uh, 
The uh, takeaway I have from it though, is that details do count, even very small ones. And in this case, it was a significant amount of money based on where was page two, where and this was marked page three, where was page one and two and three, where was the rest of it, or what was going on here. And so this that the loss we had was the cost of the charities of the, of the lawyers in the courtroom, it cost us a fair amount of money, all of us. And of course, uh, the nieces and nephews were not satisfied. Right. Wow. Jim, that's a great takeaway, and I sure appreciate you sharing it. I mean, you know, we can all get busy and start to think, well, that's a small little detail or that's something I'm not really going to be concerned about. But especially when we're talking about legacy gifts, plan gifts, and especially as we get into trusts and, uh, you know, legal agreements like that, boy, it's real important to mind every detail and make sure that we do the extra work uh, and get everything, you know, as absolutely as correct as, as it can be. And if we've got any questions about details, boy, we definitely need to ask them up front for sure. So appreciate you sharing that nightmare story, Jim. Yes, Jim, that was a really crazy story. I mean, to come down to just some scribbling on the paper as to whether that reversed um, the donor's wishes or not is just insane. For our listeners out there, what bit of advice would you give them as you learned from this experience? You know, what, what's the first action step any of our listeners should take if they have a planned gift that's contested? The, like first, um, the first bit of advice I would suggest is contacting your corporate attorney, whoever you'd use, and get someone who is familiar with estate and probate. Um, there are attorneys in Minnesota, and I'm sure around the country, I have uh, worked with on various lawsuits and they uh, there are some who know much more about what they're doing and don't have to learn with you. Great. That's great advice, Jim. And, and thank you so much for sharing that story with us. Well, Nancy, that definitely sounded like quite a nightmare. Do you have uh, something you can top that with? Trusts are always a, a sticky thing. Um, because a lot of individuals don't know the difference between uh, what's controlled by a trust and what's controlled by a will. And it makes me think of a time when I was working with a, a client and um, they had three daughters in charity in equal distribution in their will. And this was their full intent is that, you know, if they had a hundred thousand dollars, 25,000 was going to each entity, the three daughters and their charities that they had supported through a long period of time. And when you actually broke down how their estate read, that very clearly their will said that their estate should pass in equal shares to the three daughters in charity. What they weren't paying attention to was that they had assets. I, I used trust, but um, I, I should have said, um, other accounts controlled by contract, like investment and retirement accounts, uh, that the daughters were the beneficiaries of their IRAs in equal share, and um, the charities were not named in there at all. And so even though their intent was that charity would get a, a full 25% of their estate, they were only getting 25% of what was being controlled by the will. And then on top of it, you've got the three daughters 
inheriting the highest taxed asset in their parents' estate and going to have to pay income tax on that and the charity getting the non-taxable assets. And the charity, of course, wouldn't pay um, taxes regardless. And so when I, I look at a situation like that, it's really um, trying to help our uh, benefactors, our potential donors uh, about what's in their estate. And when you think about taxes, it's not the estate tax that you're worried about. It's the income tax that's trapped in those tax deferred assets. And so we were able to rework the plan so that the charities got the high taxed assets in the correct proportion and that the daughters received um, those uh, that didn't have income tax trapped. But then they did obviously get a portion of the IRAs because of making sure that the assets transferred equally to the poor entities. Nancy, that is such a fascinating story. It's interesting to me. I'd like to know if you could give me some advice about how do you talk with donors or, you know, people they're wanting to do all this, uh, you know, give to charities and take care of their family, but here you are in all their personal documents and really getting deeply involved in their life. And could you give us some, some advice on when you were going to sit down and really go through some of this personal information, maybe some do's and don'ts or anything that comes to mind about that, that type of activity? I think the most important thing is to give them space to think about what they want to accomplish and um, to take them through the process of understanding that, uh, one, you want to make sure that they are whole, that they're going to have enough money or feel confident that they have enough money to live on for the rest of their lives, that they're going to be able to take care of their loved ones in a way that is actually safe for their loved ones. And that's something a lot of people don't think about. Um, if you talk to someone and say, Here, here's how much money you have in your estate, this is how much your child is going to get. And you're going to get different reactions. Some will be, oh, that sounds fine. Others are mortified. They think that um, this money could destroy their child um, if their child has an addiction, if their child is in an abusive relationship. Um, what's going to happen to that money? Is it going to do more harm than it is going to do good? And then um, to take them through what can we do to help uh, mitigate those situations. Um, knowing that they have a philanthropic intent is key. Uh, because you can't say charity is the best way to transfer your assets. They have to have that up front. That has to be something that's a part of their plan. And then now let's look at what charitable tools are available to you that will actually help your children or your heirs versus harm them. And so that's a time when you can really start talking about things like testamentary charitable remainder trusts or even a testamentary uh, charitable gift annuity that is going to take um, an asset like an IRA and, you know, we lost the opportunity to stretch an IRA. Now, all IRAs have to be paid out within 10 years. Uh, again, depending on how big that asset is, that could destroy a, a person um, if they get too much money too soon. So how can charity that you already care about help you manage that transfer of wealth to the people you care about? Oh, thanks, Nancy. Those are good insights. 
And I, I definitely appreciate that for my own work, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners will as well. So thank you for that. Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah. Nancy, I'll ask you the same question we asked Jim. If you had one piece of advice that you could give to our listeners um, from this experience, what would that takeaway be? I would say the takeaway is, you know, don't be afraid to ask a question that may seem personal. Um, people, when they, when you sit back and listen, when you're willing to listen, um, they're going to gain a deeper level of trust and um, you can be a problem solver for your donors. Um, you're not just asking for money. You're actually helping them formulate a plan that helps them meaningfully transfer their values as much as their, their valuables. That's great advice, Nancy. Thank you so much. Well, both of you, thank you so much for sharing these two stories with us. Um, I'm sure they were not nearly as fun in the moment as they were to listen to or hear now. Um, and they probably didn't go as smoothly or as quickly as, as we just briefly talked about them. But we really appreciate you sharing those with us. Just in general now, um, from all of your years of experience, we'd like to hear some lessons learned from you guys. Let's start with Jim. Jim, what is the most important advice you would give to someone who is new to planned giving work? The most important advice I would have is to be in contact and in and understand the individual donors you're working with. I think Nancy's story shows that. Um, other ones that I have, um, I had one case where the donor had given to three different universities a current gift of life insurance or something like that and had made provisions in the estate for each of the the other two universities decided that they would without consultation with the donor cash in the the gift it rather frustrated the donor and uh, the donor went ahead and took them out of as devisees out of the her, uh, estate and in turn gave it to us and it was uh, seven and fifty thousand each that they did not get and we did and i said we would not do the same thing as the others did because i had talked with the donor i talked to the advisor the advisor and all and they knew what they had and they liked it with us and so we did not change it even though it was not beneficial the first gift was not beneficial to us the second gift was. Great advice, Jim. Thank you. Yeah, how important it is that we stay in contact with the folks that we're working with and get to know them and know their intentions. Um, and that's such great advice. Nancy, I might ask you about some advice for our listeners who are more experienced in planned giving. So what bit of advice would you say is the most important for those folks who have years and years of planned giving experience? What would you say to them? What would I say to them is, you know, the overwhelming majority of our planned gifts come via a will. And um, that the sexiness of Kratz Crutz uh, Charitable Lead Trust 
uh, can sometimes divert us from the really important work of just making sure that our, our um, benefactors know that a gift can be made and through something as simple as a gift in a will or a beneficiary statement. And I also think that it would be important to go back to our um, living legacy members to make sure that they're using the best asset possible when they're making a gift through their estate and um, clarifying what it is that they hope that they're accomplishing with that gift. Um, one of the saddest stories that I've had is working with a small rural hospital who had a person who loved them. Uh, she was a longstanding uh, donor to their organization, and uh, she had a couple bouts with cancer, and they were her resource. That's where she went and had her cancer treatment, uh, chemotherapy infusion. Loved this organization, so she left them a significant gift in her estate, and in it, she said it's for this small rural hospital for cancer research. And had they known that it was for cancer research prior to her passing, they would have been able to share with her that they couldn't accept that gift because they don't conduct cancer research. So when we have living legacy um, donors and we haven't visited with them recently, it's a great opportunity to start a conversation about are you using the best asset and can we accomplish what you want us to accomplish with your gift? Thanks, Nancy. Great advice. And uh, I just wanted to say to both you and Jim, I'm so thankful for the insights and really for the wisdom that you guys uh, have shared today uh, on this episode. Uh, it's just been really nice to have you and to hear your stories and again, to just learn from you today. I really appreciate you joining us. All right. Well, that's all we have for today, folks. Thanks again, Jim and Nancy, for joining us. You guys have been great. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today as well. Be sure to tune in and catch us every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. You can find us on our website, leavealegacymn.org, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Finally, we want to thank the Minnesota Initiative Foundations for their financial support that makes this podcast possible. They've been working, working to strengthen the communities and economies of greater Minnesota for over 30 years. Thanks for all you do. So today we will have with us Nancy Brown, and Jim Dwyer. And since it's that spooky time of year, we're gonna ask them to share some nightmare stories they've had over the years in their planned giving and legacy estate planning careers. Before we get going into their great stories, let's hear a little bit from each of our guests and get to know them. Jim, do you wanna start off by introducing yourself? Thank you, Chrissy and Carol, I'll be happy to. I'm Jim Dwyer. I have been doing plan giving for St. John's University and other fundraising, but mainly uh, plan giving for just retired after 17 and a half years. Um, I have very much enjoyed the career. I've met wonderful guys around the country, wonderful Johnnies and spouses and other donors. It's been an excellent career. And uh, before that, I raised money for a medical foundation 
and before that work with the very poor, feeding and clothing, food shelves and uh, soup kitchens, things like that. And uh, it's been a great career. It's been it's been great fun. I just recently retired and look back happily. So, Jim, what are you enjoying the most about retirement? The thing I enjoy most is actually the uh, freedom to do things when you want to, rather than trying to get them in when you have to. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Uh, the one thing I miss most, actually, um, are the donors with whom I have long-term relationships over the years. Um, I've received many hundreds of uh, comments, emails, and cards from people wishing me well, and it was just very, very nice to see that relationships really do work. That's amazing. That's got to feel really good. Well, thank you for being here with us today.